Meet me at the Chasen. I'm your host, Jennifer Fields. When you see photographs of African families, be they historical or contemporary, it's important to think about who was behind the lens. Serebidi Moses is a Ugandan curator and writer. He's an adjunct assistant professor at Hunter College and visiting faculty at the Center for Curatorial Studies at Bard College in New York. His lecture about the history of portraiture in the African family featured the work of South African visual artist Lebohan Kaganye. Her work is part of our exhibition, Insistent Presence, Contemporary African Art from the Chazen Collection. When we think about Lebohan Kaganye's work, for me, it, it's not just about this kind of like urban setting and um, in which you have black uh, middle-class families predominantly in the, in the urban centers like Johannesburg, um, but you're thinking about a trajectory that goes, cuts across the entire uh, country and in several different urban areas. And that is where the difficulty lies because you have to think about the lens through which the artist actually is is making this work. Um, it moves around a lot and you have a lot of different ethnic groups um, that are spread, spread out across uh, South Africa. And so, I mean, uh, coming from her family specifically, you may speak about one race or one ethnic group, but in a sense, when you get into it, um, in terms of the various movements of her people around South Africa, it's kind of challenging to really then understand the complexity and the layering. I mean, this work is really depicting some of those different, I mean, you see that she's going to get on a train and the train will come and she'll go. And that is very important because that sense of movement is, is not about just commuting, you know, between Soweto and Johannesburg. It's also the way in which people in general travel across South Africa. And, and, and this means that if you're from one area and one social group, you enter in another area and find other social groups, um, even when they're black. So it, it has a kind of, um, how can I say, um, regional cosmopolitanism or like intranational cosmopolitanism and I think that's very 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 important. One of the things that I remember reading from the research before this conversation was this idea that there's a British or a European way of thinking about the African families and images and then there's an African way about thinking about families and, and images What's the difference? Because I feel like I don't have a firm foot in either one of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I come from a very, you know, Southern black yes. tradition. And yes. so I'm looking for, you know, if my mother had it to tell, I'm looking to see what people are wearing <laughs> to make sure I don't wear the same thing because that would be tacky. <laughs> <laughs> or buying the same thing because that would also be really tacky. Yeah. So what's the difference between that those two viewpoints. those two viewpoints of, of what or how the African family is then shared with a broader audience? Yeah, I think um, uh, this is, I think, of course, about exhibition making. It's also about how we view family albums. I do think that the two artists I'm talking about today, Santamo Fokeng on the one hand and Lebohan Gagne on the other, 
are, are tackling different times in South Africa. I mean, they're both artists who are specifically looking at old family photographs that are perhaps 50 or 100 years old. But Santo Mofokeng is on the, the longer end. And so with Santo Mofokeng, you have a Victorian understanding, a kind of black Victorian understanding of the family album, meaning that it has to do with uh, showing, first of all, the family album is also part of the Victorian culture. So there's a kind of sense of the family photograph and, you know, who is in the family photograph and, and the kind of uh, constellation of the family, the father, the mother, the children, or um, husband and wife, or often you have these small configuration of singular family units in the family album, right? You're not going to see aunts and uncles and grandparents no. and da, 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 no. that nuclear family sort of like tight it's little band. tight. And if you look at Santa Mofokeng's Black Photo album, that's what you see. These tight nuclear families that are like husband and wife. You know, one of the photographs I examine is called Cleophas and Martha. It's really the one that I shared with you all. It really has that sense of it's, it's he's the minister, and that's his wife standing next to him, putting her hand on his shoulder as he sits on a chair. But then when we move in, you know, 50 years later with Lebohan Kanye's work, it changes. It changes because, you know, after that Victorian era, just like here in the United States, you know, you have more, uh, how can I say, more development happening in cities and more black people who, who live in cities and therefore shape uh, actively shaping uh, a kind of um, black modernity or African modernity in this larger sense. So that has something to do with it. So even though it's not the Victorian period, I think the family album in, in Lebohan Kanye's work is informed by the, the different activities that, that black people were doing or different, I, I'm speaking professionally, for, for work in the 50s and 60s. And and at the time, her grandparents would have been working because her grandfather and grandmother feature heavily in her work, as does her mom, but this specific work has a lot to do with that kind of um, older... It's during apartheid, but it's also that black people are contributing to the growth of the economy. And so not different from Detroit, where black people migrate to Detroit and contribute to the motor industry. Um, it's very similar in South Africa, and Johannesburg in particular, and the diamond you know, industry and all of that, and the gold industry as well. So, yeah. In her work, too, in looking at this piece, yeah. even though it's on another continent, yeah. The tableaus are familiar. Yes. I was talking to Margaret this morning about going yeah. with my mother to go cut, my, go help my grandmother and grandfather, yes. and my mother would cut my grandfather's toenails. Because there's one sequence in this video yes. where she's using an extremely large nail, nail clipper. Yes. And that took me right <laughs> back to that moment because I would sit and watch her do this. And he would be worried that something would fly in my eye because, you know, yes. he was, you know, grandparents' side. <laughs> so even though the work is not only, is based on her memory and yes. her gathering stories from her family about these photographs, yes. but it still has that way of reaching across the ocean yeah. to pull the viewer in, no matter where you may be. It's a common yeah. experience that we all have. Yeah. And if I, we're lucky. Yes. And I think that that, that is something that... Um, I, I guess I, I, I absolutely agree with you, and I think it's something that um, uh, I should say is 
is also within how we understand black families um, and um, African modernities in general. I mean, thinking about it in terms of the um, the kind of transatlantic conversation. I mean, I'm thinking Robert Farris Thompson here, um, but I'm also thinking about it more in terms of how, as I said, you know, black people on both sides of the Atlantic, you know, kind of helped to build um, the modernities in their in their countries, right? And but then, in so doing, I'm also talking about how then they established their own kind of of way of looking right so when we get to essence magazine and ebony magazine that's a, its own uh, way of looking and in south africa drum magazine as well has a particular kind of way of looking at the photograph and of course the configuration of the black family is very interesting to me so when you talk about your grandfather and your grandmother i think that is beautiful you know um thinking about the I mean, in one of the things with, with, with Lebon Hankanye's work that I love is that I think she, she's really also paying homage to the, the black men in, in her family. And I think that for me, this is, uh, it's interesting. It, it also talks about, you know, who is part of the family and how, how they are, you know, represented. Yeah. So as we look at the timeline yeah. of these images, what are some of the cues you were picking up that you thought, ah, it's changing? Talk to me about what you saw that excited you about this. Because even just talking to me about it, now your eyes kind of light up and you start <laughs> smiling. So there's something about this, this research, this looking, yeah. this intense looking yeah. that is triggering something. When did you start to see these changes and how the black family, the African family was yes. being represented. Yeah, I mean, I think that speaking about it is is beautiful because it reminds me of, of yeah, that I, I also feel very attached to to the, the material. And I, I also thought that Santa Mofo King's work was very much in dialogue with, with Levo Hangane's work. Um, not only did Santa Mofo King uh, make and work with family photos and collect family photos, meaning he, he collected them from communities, in urban uh, black communities in South Africa. But Lebo Hankaganya also did the same thing in her own family, right? And that they are connected with this kind of fieldwork strategy and all of that. Um, you know, um, there's a kind of anthropology logical if even ethnographic way that they go about you know gathering this data and if you look what I appreciate about Lebo Hankanya's work is that it's so visceral in that way that it, um, it it's a slice of a moment but the detail is so beautiful right um, and that that beautiful the, the beautiful detail I think is, is something that I, I can't ignore. I think um, it's owed to, owed to this artist to create such nuance in the way that she thinks about the family, in the way that she thinks about these moments in time. I think that's part of her rigorous um, kind of scientific methodology in like capturing. But on a personal level, I also think that I was wowed by the fact that these artists are looking at the past and that's something that I'm really interested in and I talk about very openly 
in the lecture, but I was also anxious about that, you know? Because what, I, what would make you so anxious? I think that people tend to misunderstand when artists in a position of narrating um, the past because they don't, people don't often trust artists to be the ones telling the story. Um, and so this notion that uh, this artist is telling this very important history of black families and also black male and female workers working in these sort of gigantic industries and helping to build South Africa is not something that historians would run to the artist to for or people would run to the artist for. It, we often think it's historians who have the kind of privilege of telling history and telling that story. As if the artist's lens is somehow cloudy and the historian's lens is somehow clear, yes. not understanding or maybe not considering yeah. that this, the artist that's producing this work isn't doing it in a vacuum. They're talking to people. Yes. They're using actual physical ephemera from their own lives. Yes. And how is that story less authentic than someone, say, who hops on a plane yeah. and goes somewhere <laughs> and decides to tell the story because they've been studying it in a room somewhere else with and books. through with books that someone else wrote who knows when. Suddenly that is more of an authentic telling than someone who's lived, breathed, and is talking to someone who's lived, breathed, and experienced and holding the actual photographs that some historian may have to dig through in a historical society for 30 years to find. I'm yeah. just saying, Terebiti, that's all I'm saying. Exactly. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. <laughs> yes, Jennifer, yes, it's true. But you know, the, 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 the thing that is, is also interesting about this is that um, that's what um, uh, black artists uh, and black curators are experiencing a lot of the time. They're, um, they're not often... Um, how can I say, they're not often um, uh, allowed or they're not often, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think there's a kind of uh, word that uh, philosophers use these days called um, uh, epistemic injustice. And I think that that means oftentimes that, you know, when you say something that um, the, the other person, due to the fact that they feel um, um, either more superior or more entitled or um, will will often try to deny or declaim um, what you're saying and so a kind of epistemic injustice happens in that sense complicated by race complicated by gender complicated by class and complicated by many other things right and so I do think black artists experience epistemic injustice and I think black curators experience epistemic injustice too because they're not often seen as the truth tellers of their communities and their societies. Well, how could you be when I've been reading the books for 20 years and you just lived it? So of course I know more. I've read about it. It's, been, it's, it's gone through the lens of somebody who is trained in studying these things yes. so your experience couldn't possibly compare to someone who has read a book that someone else wrote who isn't from that culture either and, and the thing with black curators is that 
Black curators are unusual because, um, I mean, thinking here about Margaret, um, but I'm also thinking of people like Thelma Golden, uh, they're unusual because they're, they're, they are also interpreting and reinterpreting the, the work without knowing the historical facts of what that art is. I don't think that, you know, the curators of the second Johannesburg Biennial in which Santa Mofo King's Black Photo Album was shown, Okuyen Wezor, um, Octavio Sea, had known anything about Black Victorians in South Africa during the 19th century or the different churches that they belonged to, you know, and how those churches contributed to literacy. It's an artist. Contributed. Yes. Uh-huh. I see you over there. It's Jennifer. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Malik. Hi. How are you? Good to see Good you. Good to see you. <laughs> so I think that... Um, you know, black curators are, are I think that they're, they're unusual, they're unusually brave because they dive into um, the work and they show the work oftentimes without fully grasping the entirety of the history that, that, that informs that work. And I mean not just art history, I mean that the, the cultural, political, social, economic history. And, and so, but the artist is... is perhaps even braver because the artist went in head first, you know. So we, we are experiencing that and I, I think as a black curator myself, I feel very much um, this weight and this pressure. You know, who are you to tell this narrative? You know, why are you why do you think that you you know you tell it better than such and such a historian or such and such or who gave you the right to speak about this or to do an exhibition about this? It's it's so interesting because it's all misguided or guided correctly however you want to categorize it everybody's trying to get this information yes and to me sometimes the issue is ownership who those who think they have ownership over it for me are always just a little bit dangerous yeah you know because now if, if knowledge is becoming ownership then there is some idea that there is only one way to interact with this with this work and that just cannot be the truth. So if I'm thinking that I have ownership over this particular photograph, that anything you say is not necessarily going to seep in and then I'm not gonna have the full picture. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who you are when that happens. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you and I think that um, for me, it's really important that knowledge is, um, is, uh, at least one of the things that people have the right to. I was actually speaking to um, a, a cultural and literary historian today um, who, who, who in helped me um, <laughs> think through my lecture. Um, <laughs> and his name is Kwezim Kize, and he teaches at Duke University. And we talked about the fact that um, when it comes to black archives, you know, there is this constant problem of... of information not being made public, right? And so um, the record on black people often is, is one that in which the information is actually uh, hidden, right? Not just out of the de- sheer desire to hide or to keep secrets, but the information is often just not made public. Um, but you have to wonder what public uh, institutions are, are, are 
uh, will willingly um, keep that information away from from the from the public. You have to really wonder about that because this is something that the artists are showing us and revealing to us clearly. They're the ones who are breaking through those barriers to to knowing things because they are um, going into places finding the archives that even the historians and the people who work in institutions have not been able to find, and they're the ones who have been able to dig out that information and make it available, right? So that, I think, is about being brave and a kind of epistemic justice, right? But at the same time, I do think that point that, that Kwesim Kize made is is very important about the, the fact that the that public records are oftentimes don't include, you know, um, the records of black people. I, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I think he was absolutely right. I mean, this, there's, there's a layer, just from my own personal experience yeah. too, of yeah. not wanting to trust someone else with that information. Yes. So it's almost this double, this double, not hiding, but sort of this double omission, one mm. to protect themselves and family and yeah. then maybe one to protect reputation in terms of the museum like maybe how they got it or what happened behind <laughs> it but there's this, this desire to protect yeah. and one to me seems more valid than the other no but we develop this and at the same we develop it we develop that need to to keep secret and sacred you know the things that we know as black people in our communities and our societies precisely because we have understood the way that information um, about us is treated on the public record and how it's weaponized um, often against us. Um, in Uganda, where I come from, I think, you know, doing research in the 1970s in particular has shown me that Ugandans were, were, were participating in all kinds of things that were doing festivals in Russia, like, you know, performance artists doing festivals in Russia, they were in Lagos, they were here in the United States, there were models, you know, Ugandan, a very famous Ugandan model in London, catwalks in London and New York on covers of various magazines, including Essence and Ebony. And I don't know, Ebony, I think, but I don't know, you know, the, the idea that that time period is is now clouded in the controversy of a military dictatorship, uh, one that actually was very, very violent, and sh we should not excuse, you know, crimes against humanity. But I think that that has shaped and over-determined the entire story mm. of all those people in the 1970s. The one thing that you say when you hear Uganda is Idi Amin. Yep. And that determines the entire narrative. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to those records of, you know, um, artists, I think it's, it's for me, it's just, it's a pleasure to try and, and, and dig these things up myself also as a, as a researcher, because it means that, that um, you're, you're getting at something that hasn't, hasn't been given access you haven't been given access to mm -hmm. so easily you know almost it feels like you're wrestling access away from something else in order to to grasp 
you know, knowledge or information about that time. And also wrestling with self, because I remember that time period. Yeah. And it was so hard to even wrestle with myself to see beautiful images coming out of Uganda. Yes. But thinking, oh my God, wait a minute, it's a dictator, it's a military, you know, I can't, I can't enjoy, yes. almost like I can't enjoy this. If I enjoy this, then I'm discounting what's happening to people, which is yeah. a very real scary thing. Yes. But all we're being fed, we're either, I can honestly say this, yes. but we were fed two narratives. Yes. It was the horror yes. of Idi Amin, yes. Yes. and then the over-sexualization of black and brown bodies. Right. So we had two, there was right. not, for us there was nothing in between. Right. Either right. it was this, this incredibly beautiful sexual object, oh. or this incredibly horrible Yes. You know, murderous dictator. Yes. So there was nothing in between, between for us. Yes, yeah. I think that that, that tells me a lot. Uh, and also, it, it just is, it, it shows you that the public record tends to be uh, overdetermined and controlled and tightly, tightly, should I say tightly curated? Very tightly curated. Say it one more time, Senator <laughs> Very tightly curated. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very tightly curated um, in terms of what we know publicly on the record. Um, and so I do think that Lebohan Kanye's work is so important, and as is Santo Mofo King's work, but Lebohan Kanye's work in particular, because I think the stories she's telling, I don't think they exist on the record. I think these are very personal narratives in families, but which also, as I said, like if you really look at the 1950s and 60s in South Africa, you will find that her family's narrative is that, that narrative of so many other black families, right? And so this, this is also about the making of South Africa into the kind of large economy that it then became, you know, it, it's, um, and how black people contributed to that and built their own sense of, um, they built their own kind of image, the kind of image that they wanted to see. So as we stand here in front of her work, do you want to do it in front of the video or a still, but what I'd like you to do yeah. is break down for me yeah. what you're seeing. You can choose the work, you can choose the video, or you can choose the still. I think I'll, I'll, ch I'll choose these. I mean, okay. I'll, start, I'll start here. So what we're seeing here um, is uh, we're seeing a, tr uh, a lady, uh, a, a black woman moving on a road. And it looks like she's moving down the stairs, actually. But she's moving, she's crossing a kind of like railway line. And then on the other side, you see a train. And it, right in front of her, in, in the foreground of the image, is a black man wearing a suit as if he's going to work. Um, yeah. What are you drawing from that? What other information is within those images that we're seeing? Because to me, yeah. he looks, he's going to work. Yeah. I can't tell if he's happy or sad about it. Right. He's, he's got sad. the watch on, so time is like of the essence. Yeah, and he's, yeah. he's, they're both, they're moving in different directions. And there is almost a quality yeah. of time. Yes. Like yes. maybe the direction she's going was, maybe she's the grandmother and he's the son. Maybe they're not right. husband, wife, because yes. it looks like a whole different time period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think, of course, you know, those, uh, I think those nuances, I think, would have to be more in terms of how the artist researched these, these stories um, and actually what she's basing them on in terms of like, um, but I think, I think one of the larger 
things that I see in this image is the train. And I think for me that that is a very symbolic, um, very symbolic of uh, working class and middle class black South Africans. Yeah. When yeah. I think about the train, I think of living in Chicago and going five miles. Yeah. She may be going 10 miles. She may be going 20 miles. More. Um, so she's going a greater distance. So this is really. Yes, it's uh, commuting. Um, and it's commuting to work. And But the distances were so big that people, Mofokeng um, tells us that they would have train church. Yeah, that's how long the commute was. Like, you know, talking an hour or, yes. And so people would be on the train and they'll be train church. There's also... Um, a lot of things to do with it, you know, just like in New York you have graffiti and Chicago you have graffiti and the trains had a lot of graffiti. In South Africa you have staff writers and staff writers were, were, were young, predominantly young guys, but also I'm sure women who basically climb up on the side of the train and then, you know, ride it that way. Yeah. Um, Ooh, so taking your life in your hands, going some to and from places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was um, what we see is like a uh, kind of for me. It's like the the rely the train symbolizes this very hectic and intense schedule of work. But these long commutes and where are the commutes going? They're going to the factories. They're going to the mines. They're going to all these places uh, where people work, and they work quite far away from where they live. So as we move through yeah, to the yeah. second photograph, yeah. we see Lebohang in a man's suit. Yes. The first image of a, is of a man. Don't know. I don't think. Don't believe that's her in that no, no, outfit. No, no, not. That's but not. It's white shirt, tie, pressed slacks, watch, hat. Here yeah. we see full-on suit jacket. Yeah. Full, some sort of luggage maybe they brought in. Yeah, some sort of like a suitcase, a briefcase that's dropped. So this this image is really interesting. There's a there's a a, a woman, a black woman, ironing uh, and j- dressing up in this kind of white white uh, shirt um, and and white sort of headscarf in a style that I think for me is, is related to the um, uh, Mañanos who are, uh, it's a women's church, it's a kind of independent women's church in South Africa. Um, but at the same time, I also think that she's really um, reenacting photographs of her grandfather. And so for me, this is like, you know, the mid-century in South Africa. And it's kind of, yeah, I mean, if you see the video, he walks in and then he kind of like, you know, puts his hand on his his kind of his waist and then he he like um uh drops the brief briefcase right and he he then raises his arms you know um as if to say what's going on here or something um and so i i also think these are like deeply interpret interpersonal kind of relationships so when it comes to black families what are those various kind of dynamics and again i don't think it's the the nuclear family right i think there is something else (laughs) that's going on because it has changed really it has changed from those kind of black victorian photographs from um um the late um 19th century you know it's no longer just like the minister his wife you know and they're one one or two kids no it's uh, it's really that it's become this more extended family or different configurations of you know grandparents you know grandchildren you know uh, uncles aunts cousins so i think a lot of that is actually happening in, in in her work i don't think it's 
just the single kind of nuclear family. It's really this kind of sprawling extended. Thinking about those Victorian images and looking at these images, yeah. those images are very much mm. um, person as object. Yeah. It's my job. I'm dressed well. This is my wife. We're yes. here. Yes. We're looking at you. You're looking at us. Yes. This is you. You are witnessing who we are. Yeah. This in the first one, he's looking at us, but not really. Yeah. He's the second, of... the first one, she's kind of walking away. But in this one, it doesn't even care that we're here. Yeah. Like this is not a performance <laughs> of us. For this is not a performance for us. I love that you point that out because I think this is one of the things that makes uh, Le Bohancanya's work for me very, very important. It's the nuance, it's the quiet, and it's the precision of how these tableaus, these scenes execute a particular memory. And that is where I think that his, the historical accuracy, if there is any historical accuracy at all in the work, lies. It lies in that restraint, that sense of I'm not actually performing for you, trying to create some sort of elaborate spectacle. I'm actually trying to be faithful to this story. And you might find the story uh, uninteresting. You may find the story not very appealing. But this is the story that I was told, and this is the story I'm telling. I'm not even thinking about the importance you subscribe to this story. I am telling you this part of my life, and here it is. Do with it what you will or not. Exactly, exactly. There's a kind of sense of take it or leave it. It's my story. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think that that sense of... uh, uh, calm and restraint is, is is really beautiful. But it goes back to what you said, I think, about how the, um, the family photos and family archives and the records uh, in, in it, you know, in, in black families, often actually we guard them, you know, with almost sometimes with our lives. Um, and I think that is beautiful. So then are you seeing another shift as... Everybody walks now that everybody has their little photo, their little camera in their hands, and they're able to, you know, take a quick moment. Are you seeing even more of a shift now in terms Mm. of photography and how the family and how individuals are being represented now that it's literally in their hand? Well, um, in South Africa, I think, yeah, I think there is, um, of course, like new, a new generation, (laughs) I mean, of which. Lebo Hankanya is, is part of, but I, I think that her work is facing so much of the past. Um, and, and that generation is really um, very, very active um, on social media, but also is very active um, uh, on social, it's very active on social media, but it's also very active in, um, in, in kind of image making. I, I think that there is this word born free. You know, that means, you know, being born after apartheid. Um, and I think that, that the, the born free generation is very, is very, of course, attuned to technology and is very willing, is very interested in that. Um, I, in terms of specific ideas of or configurations of, of family in the present, I think it's, it's a bit different. It, it continues to change. Now we see a lot of like 
um, for example, people claiming other people who aren't their family members as family, right? So not in this even this sense that Le Bohan Gagne shows that you still have at least an extended family. This is now, well, I don't need this. So I can just go find some other people. Make my own family. Because I think that this process, right, you, go, you really go from the late 19th century, you go from the Victorian period, and then you go into the you know, mid-20th century, and now in this kind of post-1994 period. I think people really have moved kind of away from... The, 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 um, those sort of structures that were kind of holding um, the sense of community and, and I think young people don't, are not often feeling very tied to either their kind of um, again social group whether they are Kosa or um, Zulu or Pedi or you know they, they feel uh, like their identities are, are to be made and to be built and to be established in their own and, and oftentimes now it's really gender, sexuality, you know, race. Um, uh, it's also, you know, your kind of social milieu that you live in. And people create family in that way. So young people are claiming people who are not of their blood as family. Hey, fam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and But it's also, it's in this sense that it's serious. You know, they're, they're, they're working together. Um, especially in the art, in, in the art, I see a lot of um, artists who are doing this, you know, they're like working together, producing, co-producing work, but they kind of are so close that you think that they're family. Interesting. And and they sort of are just a collaborative or a collective, you know, and, and I think that that's so, so fascinating to me, you know, like, because it's, it means that... Um, that the collective, you know, even in, in the art space has, has also taken on the character of a family. Um, and if we're making work together, that means we, we basically have the same job. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm going to spend a lot of time with you. And yeah, and so you find people who, who associate with each other in that way, who live that way. So Sarabidi, your lecture is coming up. Yeah. I don't want to make you nervous. <laughs> In about two and a half hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no need to feel any pressure. So what are you hoping? What are you hoping rings with this audience? Well, I first the first thing I really wanted to do was to just give a sense of this history. And I think that for me, it was important to show artists and to champion the work of curators. Specifically, I'm thinking here of... of Le Bohan Kagani, I'm thinking of uh, Santa Mofa King, I'm thinking of um, the curators who have shown their work, like Margaret Nagawa, but I'm also thinking of uh, Okuyen Wezor, who showed um, Santa Mofa King, and BC Silva, who showed uh, Le Bohan Kagani. I think I'm hoping that viewer, uh, listen, people who listen to the lecture will take away just how important the work of curators is today and also to understand the, the challenge that artists have to tell this kind of history that is actually not even on record, that's not even being recorded, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping that that will be the, the takeaway, yeah. One of the things Margaret said, mm. she said that she needed to have communication with, she needed to be around the pieces and she needed to sort of like experience them in order to put this all together. How much time do you spend with the work when you're thinking about 
putting together a show. Yeah. When does that start for you? Is it you have an idea? I often ask artists if when they look at a blank canvas, if yeah. when they see the canvas, mm -hmm. does the canvas tell you what it wants to be or do you impress your idea on that canvas? Mm -hmm. When you're thinking about a show, yeah. what speaks to you first? Is it the idea mm -hmm. and the story you'd like to tell or do you look at the works and go, I'm gonna, this is what they're telling me, this is what I'd like to see in the gallery. Where does, what chicken egg? I don't know if it's a chicken and an egg, but. <laughs> well, I think, I think for me, shows actually start from a very personal place. Um, uh, I often uh, used to say that I work with artists who don't make art and that, that, <laughs> that, that just, makes so much sense. <laughs> And, and so I often start from this kind of very obscure place of like, I think, uh, look, searching for the, 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 the birth of the work as opposed to the final work. And I think I want to sort of uh, act in, in that way as a kind of, um, um, as, as someone who is, is meeting the artist in a kind of moment, a serious moment. Right, um, and it, for me, the creation of art, I think, is just—it's just—it's—it's it's mythical on the one hand. I mean, we we know it from the Greek and Roman stories and myths, but we also—I think, you know, Orpheus and all of that. But I think that um, for me, also, the creation of art in in today's political and social realities is so difficult. And as Black people, I think we have such a difficult time trying to claim that role. You know, because right. of the political and social pressures and economic pressures that we face, so I I I think that's often like where I begin, and then uh, I often that process is often for me also about getting to know each other. Like I think I, I no, no, it's not often very possible because I've curated a lot of really large shows of like 46 artists and um, but I think when I'm doing a smaller project I really start, start to have dinner with the artists you know go go on walks you know read a novel together like let's start a book club you know and then you know that way I have a sense of who is this person in life the introduction is not the work itself, it's the person. Yes. It's, it's understanding the yeah. mind and the body and the soul that produced this. Yes, that is where, that's where it is for me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The work is, comes from the person. Uh, and so the person is, in some ways, um, really, really, really important. I know the work is very important, but the, the, for, me, the, for me, the person is, is super important. Yeah. It's always easier to take up and understand a different language when you spend time with the person that has that native language. Yes. This work is sort of, this work is a production of life, not exactly. the, the symbol of that life. Yes. That makes any sense. Yes, it does. It does. It's part of life. It's part of life. And, and I think we need to, we, I think... Uh, it's something that uh, art historians, I think, wrestle with because art historians are trying to alert us to the genealogy of objects and how objects are, you know, exist throughout history. I mean, it is our human history, right? So they're trying to really think very deeply about this human history through the objects that humans make. 
But that is important work, but I do think when it comes to curating, I think really um, who the person was is, or is, is so, so, so important. Um, especially when you're curating contemporary shows, when the artists are alive, as opposed to the artists who are deceased. Um, yeah. Better get uh, it right. <laughs> just to me it just makes that that argument whether or not photography is yeah. actual art yeah. so frustrating because yeah. you can discount an entire continent yes. who are you, who are working in lens based visual mm -hmm. arts yes. if you argue that photography is not art when you look at Lebahang's work yeah. and you see that it clearly is yes it clearly is art. it's it's a it's a way to intentional or unintentional discount an entire body of work an mm. entire group of people and yeah. an entire way of looking at the world. Yeah, uh, but what you the, the question you posed to me, the very first question you posed to me about the lens through which we see and how do you see through the lens of others is very, very important. I think, and, and for me, this is why photography is important. This photography allows us to build that lens, you know, to build that kind of image. Like, how do we want to see ourselves, you know? But also, um, how do we document the kind of beautiful things we've created? Especially if nobody else thinks those things are beautiful yes. or important enough to document. Yes, exactly. So it is, it is a kind of um, archival science, uh, in a sense. I mean, I, I don't mean to be too... Uh, technical about that but I, I think that when you have a camera and you're documenting you know things in your home or in your community I think you are archiving you're definitely <laughs> just keep that camera and keep those images whether they're digital or printed you know because 20 years from now somebody's going to ask for them You've been listening to Meet Me at the Chasen. Our guest, Sederbini Moses, is a Ugandan curator and writer. He is an adjunct assistant professor at Hunter College and visiting faculty at the Center for Curatorial Studies at Bard College in New York. Meet Me at the Chasen is a production of the Chasen Museum of Art on the campus of UW-Madison in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information about the museum, its collections and exhibitions, visit chasen.wisc.edu. I'm your host, Jennifer Fields. Thank you for listening.